Welcome to the 467th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today, I welcome my brothers and sisters back to COVID Calls. Just a reminder, you can catch COVID Calls live on Twitter and on the COVID Calls YouTube channel, and you can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. As always, please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of March 13th, 2022, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center, 86,389 people have lost their lives in the state of Texas from COVID-19. In California, 87,269 have died. In South Korea, where I am, 10,395 people have died from COVID-19. The highest death rates coming in the last two weeks Vaccination rates, Texas, 62%, California, 71%, South Korea, 86%. Hey, I have my brothers and sisters back today, and I'm going to give brief introductions of them. Stephanie Edelton lives in Leander, Texas, which is just north of Austin with her husband and her soon-to-be one-year-old daughter. She's a first-grade teacher in the Austin Independent School District. Jeff Knowles is an urban planner who specializes in creating active, healthy communities. He lives in Oakland, California with his wife and three-year-old daughter. Jen Lerma lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and four-year-old son and their French bulldog, Theo. Jen is an accounting specialist for a software company headquartered in Austin. Dave Vieira is a husband and father of two. He lives in San Antonio. Texas. He works professionally as a theater consultant and designer as a volunteer for the San Antonio Rodeo and the United States Institute of Theater Technology. Since March of 2020, he's bought and sold a house, had a second child, went to two modified weddings, one full wedding, missed a wedding, went to one modified funeral, continued to work and transferred both kids to full-time daycare. And Lindy Warner is a sociologist who works as a graduate program specialist for the Department of Sociology at Texas State University. She lives in Austin with her husband and two sons and her dog, Zoe. Brothers and sisters, it is good to see you all back on COVID calls. Thanks for joining me again. So I usually read an obituary or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic. I'd like to continue that now, and I'm going to hand that over actually to my sister, Jen, and my brother, Jeff. And while we do that, the rest of us are going to uh, remove ourselves from the picture, and then we'll rejoin you after you're done. All right. This is the obituary of Garland Ray Chapman of Paris, Texas, 1930 to 2020. Garland Ray Chapman died on March 28, 2020 in Paris, Paris, Texas at the age of 89. He was born in Dill City, Oklahoma on September 11, 1930, the eldest of six children of Lester and Vera Chapman. His family moved to Lamar County, Texas in 1939 and settled in the Fott community where parcels of that original homestead still reside with the Chapman family. Garland married June Norrell of Powderly, Texas, at the Calvary Methodist Church in Paris, Texas, 
on December 26, 1950, enjoying 69 years of marriage. They raised two children, Harriet Chapman Knowles, whose husband is Steve, of Georgetown, Texas, and Garland Ray Chapman, whose wife is Suzanne, of, Fev of Pflugerville, Texas. Besides his wife and children, he is also survived by seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren, plus five siblings, Wayne Chapman and his wife, Pat, Gail Farmer and Ruth Thompson, all of Paris, Texas, Jim Chapman and his wife, Jan of Fott, Texas, and Wanda Thorpe of Yantis, Texas. Garland completed his elementary education in the Fott School near his home. He graduated from Paris High School, attended Paris Junior College, and earned a Bachelor of Science and Master of Science degrees from East Texas State University, Texas A&M Commerce. His postgraduate work included studies at the University of Northern Colorado and the University of North Texas and the University of Texas at Austin. His 37-year tenure as a career educator and public school administrator was primarily spent with the Midland Independent School District, where he served in varied, increasingly responsible leadership positions, including assistant superintendent of schools, principal of Midland Lee High School, and several junior high and elementary schools. After retirement, he returned to Paris, Texas in 1986, where he led an active retirement life. Garland was an active member for over 60 years with the Lions Club in Midland and Paris, where he received numerous accolades for his leadership and civic service. He also served at the Paris Food Pantry. Garland was a longtime member of the First United Methodist Church, where he was a member of the Grace Sunday School class. He was a Master Mason and a 32nd degree Scottish Rite Mason. He also served in the Texas National Guard from October 1947 to October 1956. Garland was an avid fisherman and particularly loved to fish for trout in Colorado. In Colorado, he and June collected aspen tree branches and made colorful personalized walking sticks for family and friends. He was a warmly engaging and personal man of high character, gifted with detailed storytelling anecdotes and a special witness of Christian virtues, particularly with his grandchildren. Garland also enjoyed golf, sporting events and following the achievements of former students, fellow educators and family members. Jeff and Jen, thank you for reading that obituary of, of Garland. And um, maybe we could just linger there for a second. First of all, it's great to see you all back. And, and we've got a lot to talk about. Um, and let me just get Stephanie back in the, there she is. Great to see you. Thanks for being with me today, all of you. And um, yeah, I really appreciated your reading about Garland. And I'm going to share something real quick, and then maybe if anybody else wants to wants to say anything. I mean, um, I was sorry to not be able to attend his funeral, and it, it was also it was so early in the in the pandemic period. Um, although he had been sick before, and that was not the cause, but it, um, I remember sort of trying trying to watch because uh, you know our dad gave the eulogy and um you know i remember watching that and thinking i, I just don't know how anybody's gonna survive in this time like how you say goodbye to family members with zoom and and all of the precautions and everything that's going on and it's just everyone has gotten so used to it now or maybe they're not used to it but they've just learned how to cope with it but that was that really stuck with me that that sort of inability to kind of say goodbye properly. So in some ways, listening to you read that was really helpful for me. And I appreciate 
you doing it. Garland taught me how to fish. He taught me how to drive. He taught me how to use a pocket knife. And I'll never forget him encouraging me to take up whittling when I was at the farm and gave me a stick and, and I had pocket knife. And he stood over my shoulder and watched me for a little while while I used the pocket knife, um, carving it towards myself, of course. You know, so carving, had a knife, sort of imagine me sort of nine years old doing that. And he, he let me go a couple minutes. He said, well, I think you might want to turn it around and do it, do it the other way, Scott. It might be a little bit, might be a little safer. What do you think? Oh, yeah. After I nearly stabbed myself in the stomach a few times. Um, and he was the one in the family above all others who supported me going to graduate school. And I can only, I can only imagine what went through parents' minds when I said, you know, I have a plan. I'm going to spend 10 years more in school with an uncertain job outcome. How about that? And they are all like, sounds great. And he was totally enthusiastic. And every time I talked to him, he had really good questions about like how my graduate program was going. And even very late in his life, he remembered the book that I had written and asked about it. And uh, yeah, he was a great guy. Right now, um, I have a stack of books that's putting my laptop on it, and I just look down, and it's books that um, I have from his collection, um, which is just pretty amazing. I didn't even notice that, but it's um, Behavior and Education and then a phonics book from who knows when, but I love having that in my office, um, just to kind of remind me. About you have his book. phonics book from when he was when he was teacher, when he was an administrator. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, when we were going through things, we we got all of his collection of books, which filled his office and filled his room. So. Yeah, he passed early in the pandemic in March, late March 2020. So right after the lockdown. So we didn't, I don't think any of us got to go to the service. Um, but I was out there in October of 2019. And I think some of y'all were with me there, which we got to say, you know, see him and visit and kind of say our goodbyes that way. But um, yeah, it was pretty... I think it was just really difficult time and pretty scary going back to then. It feels very different from today where we are kind of with, with COVID, which is still wreaking havoc, I know, in many places. But um, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to live with the virus. We didn't, you know, there were no vaccines, no precautions, really. Um, we were just kind of moving into pretty rapid lockdown across the country. Well, and his passing kind of started the kickoff of our family calls because we called each other when we all found out the news and then around the funeral. And so then that was what started all of us doing the weekly check-ins that kind of turned into the Zoom calls. And so that was, I think all of us thought this would just be temporary, but two years later, we're still doing our weekly calls. And so, um, yeah, it, things are so different, but still the same. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I think with the funeral, it, it felt like it was just a temporary thing. Um, it's like, okay, well, we have to deal with this right now. And that's, you know, it's too bad that we're not able to gather, but eventually we'll be able to do kind of a makeup or like, you know, we'll be able to all gather maybe in a month or, you know, later on. And so now it's just kind of the reality of we're not able to gather. And um, I think we've all grieved and we've celebrated his life, but it's just not in a non-traditional way.
Yeah, I was thinking today how we were lucky that we got to go before and say our goodbyes um, because people don't get to do that right now or, or haven't been able to do that as freely the past couple of years. And so it's been, it was hard not getting to go and, you know, hug Meemaw when it just happened, but um, we were lucky that we got to say goodbye beforehand. Um, he also taught me how to fish and how to drive too, <laughs> and throw the football. So, oh, you got football. I didn't get, he didn't teach me how to throw the football. He probably thought after seeing me with a pocket knife, he was probably like, nah, forget it. I think it was like one, one lesson and he was like, okay. <laughs> he taught us how to play basketball. And the other day we were outside playing basketball, um, at the end of our street. And I did the technique that he taught me and I didn't miss, I, I made like five, Goals and Jack thought I was just like a superstar basketball. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> well, let me just take a second to remind folks you're listening to COVID calls, and this is a, a special episode today, brothers and sisters episode. It's the um, second time that we've had a chance to do this, and I went back and looked, and it was October sixteenth, two thousand twenty, the last time we did this call, and. That day, 218,266 people in the United States had died of COVID. And it was up 1,100 from the previous day. And that was something that was quite remarkable then, to have over 1,000 people a day in the United States dying from the disease. Yet another thing we've just uh, totally gotten used to. Um, I, I wanted to just get a chance to get some up, updates. Uh, and a lot has happened. I mean, we started off talking about Garland. We've had so many things happen in our lives in these last two years. And Dave, let me uh, let me bring you in first on that. What's been going on? Oh, man, what has been going on? Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's why I included in my bio. I feel like it's a, it was an important uh, part of this conversation to to talk about all the things that have happened and not happened in since March of 2020. It's a, you know, Jeff brought it up earlier. It's like, it is a really interesting mindset change. Like I've been to three conferences in the last two months, like, like they had COVID restrictions, but it was no talk of canceling anything, no talk of rescheduling anything. I mean, there was, it was like basically back, totally back to normal. So I, I mean, you know, like I mentioned in the bio, we we had a kid during COVID, which I know several of you also did, which is absolutely terrifying. And, uh, you know, had to take them like, I don't know, kid, little kids get sick. So I had to take them to doctor's visits and ER visits and all sorts of stuff. And every single one of those was a, a little nerve wracking for the longest time. And I, I mean, again, before we got started here, everybody, I guess, other than you, Scott, has little kids like, we're all still waiting for vaccines for them. And I don't know, we've just kind of learned to live with the risk, I guess. <laughs> it's hard to say. Who else wants to talk about kids? Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe what we talk about the whole time, which is <laughs> fine. But, but I particularly, Dave, having a child during this time, like bringing a child into this world in the middle of this pandemic, we just linger there for a second. Uh, I mean, I that, still have the text messages. Cast. Yeah, I know. Well, right. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't choose that timing. That, 
the of when the pandemic was gonna was gonna hit. What about that? I mean, what comes through for you for strong memories of of that? I mean, we already have a lot of memories of having our children, but then having sure. it within the context of COVID. Uh, so I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest. We like we were in between like. Um, Asher was born between surges in San Antonio. So, but we were in the middle of the first surge, which turned out to just be like a blip. Um, we had no idea what was coming, uh, obviously, but um, we very seriously uh, looked into alternative birthing centers and things like that because it was like, oh man, a hospital is just a big building with sick people in it. Like, uh, we're not going to go have a baby in a hospital. Like, we're not going to go expose ourselves to COVID just to get the baby out. Like we're going to take our chances. Uh, it turned out for many, uh, many reasons that that wasn't going to work. Um, and it ended up being fine, but like there were serious late night conversations about, okay, we, uh, we interviewed different birthing centers and different things like that. So like, ah, oh, there's just the hospital is going to be overrun with sick people. Like we're not going to go in there. Part of that is my, uh, m- one of my sister's in law is a labor and delivery nurse. And, uh, at the time, she was like, yeah, well, you don't know. We're testing everybody. It's kind of hit or miss or whatever. Uh, since then, she has just got the worst stories. And I'm, I I feel such empathy for all of the people who came after us. We, <laughs> it was naively easy for us. So I'm just, it's been, you know. Yeah, I'll leave it there. I'll, I'll defer to the wisdom of my... <laughs> My yeah. my adopted brothers and sisters here. Well, others will will have some kind of similar stories. Lindy, what about your your time? Yeah. So, well, I'm interested to hear about Steph since she was the first time mom going through it. But um, so um, so I gave birth in October to our second son, um, and I think just kind of knowing what to expect, I got induced, and so I got induced with the first one. So I kind of had the process you know, planned out. Um, I didn't feel like I needed the hospital tour or the, the classes like I did the first time around. Um, so I wasn't upset about missing the tour. I think if it was the first time I would be pretty upset. Um, but it was the same, same hospital, you know, same, um, clinics. Uh, I learned from the first time I didn't really want visitors at the hospital. <laughs> so, uh, you know, not being able to have visitors that didn't really impact it. Um, it, it was, I mean, it's, it's terrible, you know, being like in the hospital bed and, and someone coming in and giving you a COVID test. And that was like the first time I actually, it was actually the first and only time I've had the true up to your brain test um, done to me. You know, all the other times I did like the cheek squat swab or just like the inner part of the nose. But yeah, I was like about to, you know, get all the Pitocin and everything. And they did the nose and I was like, why? And then I had to have my mask on the whole time. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, there's the first picture of me holding Will, I have a mask on. And so it's just, it's sad. Um, you know, but I guess that's the marker of the time of when I gave birth, but, um, I would say overall there wasn't, that was kind of the main difference was just the, the lack of family involvement at the hospital, which for me was maybe a positive thing. Not that I didn't love, I mean, I loved the family the first time, but it made it like, so that it was a yeah. more of a special, like intimate time yeah. uh, with just me and Weston and, and Will. Um, and the nurses were just, I mean, they're just angels. The nurses, I think yeah. in any area, but just especially those labor and delivery nurses um, and postpartum, they're just amazing. And 
Um, they were pretty flexible as far as I like, you know, the 3 a.m. checks where they come in every couple hours. If I didn't have my mask on and it was like across the room, they weren't going to tell me to put my mask on. They all had masks on, but they were, you know, it was it was humane, I think. Like, you know, they weren't like strict. They were kind of more of just like going with our comfort zone. And um, yeah, so my experience was it was different, definitely. But um, Steph, I'm, I'm curious to hear yeah. how yours was. Stephanie, did they come and give you the, as Lindy says, the up to the brain COVID <laughs> test? No. I've never heard it described that way, but that is accurate. That is accurate. <laughs> I had to get my test the like day or two before. Um, so, and I've had it so many times, the, the big old one up the brain. So it was okay. Um, but yeah, that was actually something that I was going to mention is I didn't get to like toward the hospital, I didn't get to take birthing classes. Like my doctor said, you can just YouTube it if you have questions, just YouTube things. So I was like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But we did it. But yes, I was actually kind of a fun little trivia thing for me too, is I was the first um, person in the hospital that was double vaccinated to give birth. So March last year, which I was very proud of. And I was like, but you still are making me wear a mask. Which like now I'm like, okay, but at the time I was like, come on, guys. Um, but yes, I wore a mask um for over 24 hours of labor. Um, and the nurses were not as chill as Lynn's because I was like 3 a.m. and I'd have to like grab my mask and um and like all the different things. But it was fine. It like that was such a small piece of it. Like I remember a lot of people being like, You gave birth in a mask, and I was like, that was the least of my like problems. It's fine. Though the thing that was really hard was we left the hospital and we had to go back to the NICU and it was like four hours of being gone and they had to give um, my baby a COVID test. And I just remember I had all the hormones too. I just remember being in the bathroom, just sobbing my eyes out. I was like, how are they doing this to a baby that's, you know, 20 or 36 hours old? Um, but was now that protocol? That, was that normal did what? they explain to you that that was a normal protocol for if, babies to have COVID? If you leave the hospital. If you leave yeah. the hospital. Okay. So since we had just left and left to our house, um, that I counted. See. So that was a hard one. But she's had so many COVID tests um, that I think it's just harder for me to see than it is for them. They're, they're fine. Um, but yeah, so many doctor's appointments and... Um, she got ear tube surgery two months ago, and that was another one where she's a lot older and more into things. So I was trying to hold her and she's just grabbing my mask and pulling it off. And, you know, so it's getting a little bit harder to go to doctor's appointments with that. But yeah, that was it. I kind of blocked out a lot of my birth story until now. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then that happened. And then <laughs> Yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want and I wonder, too, like if when we reconvene and have this call again, you know, five years from now, will, will the way we tell it still, I mean, will the sort of the, the parts of it, which everyone experiences the fear, the joy, the excitement, you know, the emotions and everything, will that come through and these memories of the masks and everything else sort of fade away? I just don't know. I mean, I, I think about this a lot with COVID we're in it. And so it's the context in which we experience everything. But I wonder how many of those things will be central to the way you tell the story a few years from now. I guess there's no way to know except to re reconnect about it in a few years and think about it. 
Um, Jen, I thought it was funny. Yeah, sorry. Ahead, yeah, no, I was gonna say I thought it was funny. I one of the first places I took Asher, the the young one, after he was born. Like I just had him in the car with me. We rode down, and we were gonna, the, you know, the rodeo that year had been canceled or was modified or whatever. So this is 2021. So we just went down to go get our like check in and get our. I think Dave froze for just a second. Sorry, am I? Did I have the unstable internet connection? Sorry. You were just telling us about the rodeo, and I was like, no, rodeo. No. Yeah. So no, sorry. This was 2021. So we just went down. We were just going to ride down there, pick something up, and leave. Yeah. Like we we're going to pick up our credentials, and uh, just to have the record of it, I guess. And the. Um, one of the girls was like, oh, like, I don't know. She like put her head, face up to the window and she was like, oh, you know, he doesn't recognize me because I'm wearing a mask. And I was like, he met his mother in a mask. Like he is only <laughs> known masks. Get your unmasked face out of his face. Like step back. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me here. Yeah. Sorry, you were going to kick it to Jen. I... No, no, that's a good, I mean, it's interesting because we all want children to see our faces. I mean, that's like a big part of like bonding with little kids, right? Now, please remember me here, you know, and that they, all the kids will know us because of these masks or through distance is, is an important part of this time. Man. Jen, let me, let me get you in on, on this. You did not give birth during this time, but, but you do have... You still do have a young guy around the house. What's it been like? Yeah. So Donovan is four. He'll be five in May. Um, the past year. So we are very fortunate. And um, my husband, Daniel, he has stayed home um, since Donovan was born. Um, stay at home dad. So we really lucked out where we didn't have to juggle that. Um but we did make the decision this year to put him in Mother's Day out um, twice a week. We just felt that the benefits outweighed the risk of going in 10 hours a week. And um, and it's been really good, but it is kind of like, uh, I mean, none of them are vaccinated. They're all under five. And um, so it's a little, little been a little tricky, but it's, it's been good. We did keep him home like, Oh, from January or it was before Christmas to a couple weeks ago when Omicron was really bad in Austin. So, um, but yeah. Um, and then now we're starting to get out and do some more stuff. Got to go outside and go to some restaurants last week and, um, I feel like we're getting to be more normal. Um, and also he's going to be able to get vaccinated in two months. So that'll be even better. Um, but it is weird. It's weird that he's just used to wearing masks when he goes out. It's weird that he's, that he just expects every, everyone that is going to get vaccinated when they turn five. And mm. he'll, the other day, Lindy, I forgot to tell you when we were going to your house, he goes, is Jack vaccinated? <laughs> I'd love that you ask that, but um, so it's just funny, like just growing up in this time, what they think about what they're used to. And yeah. Lindy mentioned the Knowles family calls that we do weekly. And I have to say, 
I should have let Donovan do the hosting today. He asked if he, he could come and talk. Well, he would just, we'll do another episode where we give him the, I'll just do a full on hour with him. He is the best interviewer. And when we get on the family calls, he's like, oh, Scott, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, fine, Donovan. Are you 40? Like, how do you? He just is, he's really good at asking people questions. Yeah. And he really wants to know the answer to those yeah. questions. It's great to talk to him. And um, and I guess he's sort of the way you're describing, he's kind of taking it all in stride. I mean, I guess th things to kids are normal. Yeah. Jeff, let me get you in. What's the question? How you life. doing? How's your life? How you, how's your family? I, I care less about you, but I want to know how the family is. Good. Lulu has been in, um, you know, daycare. Uh, other than a, a brief stint when everything kind of shut down, she's been in daycare Monday through Friday, you know, full time period for us, um, almost un uninterrupted. And uh, more than I think a lot of other folks that I know um, in the Bay Area and, you know, uh, with all of siblings as well. Um, so we've been fortunate, I think, in that regard. It's it's allowed it's allowed Lisa to really um, you know build her career and get that rolling. It's allowed me to have you know almost interrupted um, time with my career, and I think Lulu has really enjoyed it. She's such a social kid that she just she just thrives so much in a school environment in a daycare environment around other kids, um, where she can run around a lot. She just wants to cry, climb and crawl and get on a lot of stuff. So it's been you know, other than the precautions taken of wearing a mask, you know, that she's now over half her life has been in a mask um, when she's out of the house, which again, she doesn't, it's for her, it's normal. It's, she doesn't see that as a big inconvenience at all. She doesn't resist it. It's just part of her, her daily, you know, it's anything like putting, putting on socks and shoes, putting on a mask when we go out. And um, it'll be interesting to see as we're kind of, as we're kind of returning to more normalcy here. And as she gets older and, and close to the vaccine, what will happen? Um, I assume it'll just take some time to kind of break into a new pattern of routine for her. But um, yeah, we're we're all doing we're all doing okay out here. One thing that I'm always jealous about, Jeff, when I go on Instagram is see your pictures, and it's like I mean, everybody who's living in Texas takes advantage of being outdoors. But then I look at your picture, like, oh, there's your family with a bunch of redwoods. Yeah. Like, that's I, has that been like a solace to you that you've been yeah. able to like yeah. get out into nature, like real nature. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear them that just walked in the door here. Uh, uh, absolutely. You know, that's kind of in our, um, since we don't have family close, we're not, you know, in the locus in Texas, uh, you know, our ability to just get out and get into nature has been really important, always important, but now I feel like even more so, and we're not alone. I think <laughs> across the country, people are really getting out more, like dusting off their bikes and going on bike rides and just getting out of the house and trying to find ways to recreate safely. And for us, it's just hiking and getting out and taking advantage of all the great natural resources that are in, you know, in our backyard. Uh, that's why we, that's why we moved here. It's why we live here uh, to take advantage of it.
Quick reminder, you're listening to COVID Calls, talking to my brothers and sisters today on COVID Calls, and really happy to have them back for a second visit. Let's talk about work a little bit. Steph, I want to start with you on this because teachers, so we got a lot of teachers in our family, actually, people connected with education. You've really been in a tight spot there in Texas because everything we were just talking about, people are really eager to get their kids into daycare or back into school so that kids can be kids and so that parents can work. Um, but we rely on teachers to make that happen. So what's that been like? I don't even know how to answer how this has been. I mean, I know the last time we talked, we were transitioning from going virtual back to hybrid. Um, so I think the last time I talked about it, I had just a few students in my classroom. Um, and it was just kind of a nightmare, kind of a blur, like my labor, like I just kind of block out last year because it was so hard. Um, and then this year it was almost like, not my principal, but just kind of like the, in general, people just expected us just to go back to normal. And that was very odd. Um, but it was also, I've loved it because I've loved seeing all the kids back in school. But we started the year off with 25 first graders um, that had never been to school before. So that was, um, it was a shock. I think it was a shock to everyone and a shock to all of our systems of like, wait, they don't know how to sit in a chair. Like they, you know, a lot of them have not seen other children before because most of, most of the kids were not in the classroom at my school. They were in little pod groups. So they were with like three or four. So that, and I was telling Lindy actually today about this, like even now in March, the kids don't know how to play together. Like they are so mm -hmm. rough. And they, so it's just kind of having to go back to like teaching skills that I would not normally have to be teaching in March um, to first graders. So that's been very interesting. Um, our class had a big um, COVID outbreak. I think we, I think we had 12 um, got positive. I somehow, I think because I was vaxxed, actually, I know I was vaxxed and I was wearing a mask. Um, I was able to not um, get it, which was pretty incredible. I still don't know how that happened, but um, my whole class actually had to go virtual for 10 days. Um, so that was hard. Um, but other than that, it's been pretty good. And it's been just kind of a lesson to just this past week, um, the mask mandate got lifted. And so we really had a big conversation, conversations that I never thought I'd have to have, but just talking about being respectful of everyone's choices of wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And then I had a big conversation too, because I think a lot of them have learned masks protect me. And we talked about, you know, it's kind of the Swiss cheese method of like also not getting in each other's faces, you know, mm -hmm. and washing our hands often and, you know, covering your mouth. So it's, it's interesting too the kind of idea of like, yes, masks are great and they're very helpful, but also there are other ways to stay healthy. So it's an interesting um, time right now um, of that. But then also, you know, some of them are like, why are you still wearing a mask? Why do you have to do that? And mm. so I've noticed some of them are like, oh, I don't know. Cause I have to, but overall, like they're all very respectful and kind. And they even, when they see me wearing the mask, one of my little girls was like, it's because she has Adeline at home and Adeline can't get the vaccine. So we're going to protect her. And I was like, yes, we are. Thank you. <laughs> so it's, they're sweet. It's been, uh, it's been a ride, but um, I thought that the lifting the mask mandate was going to be a lot um, scarier, I guess, for me, just because, 
you know, I do have a little one that I want to protect, but so far so good. So we're just learning with this new, new way of, of living, I guess. You know, in the media that we saw a lot, particularly in September's, we've seen these ongoing stories about tension between teachers and families, but I, I wonder, I, I mean, I guess I hope that's a little overblown. I mean, I, I hope you've been getting positive notes from from families and realized all of a sudden, like, oh, I can't live my life without my without teachers. So supportive. I have the that's most good. supportive families. And um, yes. And also a thing, too, about like the mask, in my personal opinion, I feel like it is adults making it a bigger deal because these children run outside in Texas heat with a mask on and they were totally fine. Like they did not care at all. And I don't know. I feel like they were able to learn and able to express emotions and stuff like that too. So I think that's been a big thing too. I know they're happy to not be wearing it, especially outside. Um, But it was not a huge thing that I always saw played out in the news. I was talking to sociologist Ryan Hagen last week. I asked him the question about, it's the parallel of your question about not knowing how to act when you get to first grade. And so you have to teach them. But I was asking him the adult version of that question. Like, why are Americans fighting on airplanes? And, and why are there in so many traffic accidents? And, so, and his, his theory was that actually socialization is not a one and done thing. Like we actually can regress. And that people are going to go through a period now where people have to learn how to stand in lines again and how to interact once again. And not like, oh, I'm tired of talking to you. So like end meeting. Like it, and so like you're kind of at the point of the spear on that stuff, like teaching people how to be human beings and you know how to do other things that are academic. But um, there's a socialization piece of this that I think we've kind of forgotten about. I, I, anybody else have work stories that that you wanted to bring in? I'm particularly interested if you had to deal with outbreaks in the workplace. We had a lot of of like, did, did anybody else have to deal with that with the office just emptied out again or scares like that? So um, January, we didn't have an outbreak. Well, I guess we did. So um, there was a Christmas party that I chose not to go to. Um, and from that Christmas party, I think eight people got it. And um, six, I believe, were fully vaccinated. It's just the um, the variant is so strong. Um, so I think that was right when people were eligible to do the boosters. And so some people maybe, maybe didn't get the booster or they just had gotten it and it didn't protect them. Um, but it was hard because all these people that gathered, they have been very safe and they felt like finally it was kind of to the point where like we get to gather. It's going to be a group of people that we all know are safe and like we get to celebrate and then bam, they get the virus. And it's right before Christmas. Several of them didn't get to see family because of, they were still in um, the isolation period or the, you know, that time period where they couldn't. So just really sad. So I think our whole department was just like, ugh whatever, like, you know, we can't have good things. We can't have fun things. Um, but so then the plan was for me. Um, so I was on maternity leave and I came back in January and that was the first, um, it's like January 4th, I think, uh, it was Monday. And so I started back in the office and, uh, will started daycare that day. And we were all excited. I had spent the whole week before like crying and just mentally preparing, like going back into this. And so Monday, um, probably around 3 PM, we get a call that Texas state decides to go or they decided to go virtual for the month of January. Um, and so I was like, okay, this, you know, this is cool. I can pull Will out of daycare. So we like started trying to figure out like how we could do 
that because I just was really nervous about having him in daycare. Um, and if I was going to be able to work from home for a little bit longer. So it was just like kind of a scramble. Um, and so thankfully, um, I got to spend some more time at home and we uh, didn't have to meet in the office and students weren't on campus during the huge part of, in January where it was just, everybody was getting it. Um, but the five days that Will was in daycare on Friday, he, um, he got COVID. So, um, and then there was a uh, outbreak in Jack's class, which is a different daycare. Um, so this is just how rampant it was at that time. So he was exposed and so was Will at two different locations by two different teachers, two different classes. Um, and so they both tested positive. Um, so my little three month old um, had it and then my almost three year old um, and same thing with Steph. I, I sometimes it's just this virus is so, you know, interesting because Weston and I never got it. We tested three or four times each and we never tested positive. And um, we were really lucky that the boy, both boys were very mild symptoms. Um, so I think if I hadn't known that the class had that outbreak, I would have never tested them because they were, I mean, Will was almost asymptomatic. He was a little fussy and had congestion. And other than that, you know, I, I wouldn't know. So we were very lucky and really thankful, but that's my work story of going back to work. And then January was just dealing with it. It was just, we had to be home. We stayed home a little even longer than the two weeks just to be careful and just be cautious. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was hard. And we were all like, Wes and I were still trying to work. We were just working from home. Yeah. So we were taking care of the two kids and working and we've been doing that. So, um, it's, it's been a hard balance. Well, Steph, I'm glad to hear that you're teaching the, uh, the young ones to be kind, uh, honest, caring humans. I feel like that is just generally lacking. I mean, Scott, you pointed out earlier that people are learning still fighting on planes and whatever. Like, like I have to travel a lot for work. And like I, when I got back into it, I was like, ah, it's like, okay, guys, just put your mask on. We're going to be on this. We're going to be in this th tube together for the next hour and a half or whatever. Like, just leave your mask on. But the number of people that would try to, like, circumvent the mask rule or whatever, I'm like, just basic human decency to each other for the next hour. And then you can go get in your car and be a total jerk to everyone around you. And just no one has to deal with you. And that's fine. I, I just, like... I feel like that's kind of been one of the things, like the main theme of this that I've taken out is like just a general lack of patience. And like, I don't know if all of that got spin up in the first three weeks on lockdown or whatever, but it's been challenging. And, uh, you know, I, going back to work for me was, oh, I say going back to work, I, you know, we never stopped. So like you guys, I, you know, just juggling kids at home and trying to work and trying to work from home. And then the never ending sea of, zoom and teams calls like that's the that's like the biggest takeaway is like the amount of meetings that i thought i had to deal with before covid happened hmm. it just pales in comparison to the number of meetings it is now it's like everything is a call and like okay now but now we've layered back on the oh we're gonna meet in person so it's like we're gonna have this call to prepare for the meeting in person and then we're gonna have a follow-up call after that i'm like it's too many calls folks <laughs> Jen or Jeff? I just want, I was curious, is everybody back in the office now, like full time or what's the, 
it's something that we're working on at my company right now in terms of expectations. There's a survey that just went out, you know, company wide to kind of gauge, gauge, you know, individual comfort and interest. And I think what happened with with COVID economically also for us was um, just this great reshuffling of of labor in our market. And so we're really attuned and really sensitive to like retention. And so there's like keeping our employees safe, but also like don't want to like say everybody's all right, back to the office five days a week because we will lose people, you know, people. Mm -hmm. So there's like this conversation going on right now. And even, um, you know, I've got one person who's just a real social butterfly on my team. And I think he was like, he was really encouraging his team to like come back at least one day a week. And I got some like frantic calls and months ago, like, is this the new policy? Are we required? And like had to like step in and like assure people like, no, it's, if you want to, it's voluntary right now. It's so we're really in a in a in a flux. Uh, so I'm just curious. We're, we're right now still very 100% voluntary return to the office. I've been going in just because I'm ready for to get back a few things that I like. I I do like the commute, biking into work. It's my ex, it's the only exercise I really get. So I I miss that. And then being in the office and just leaving my work at work and leaving home at mm. home. The blurred yeah. lines don't work for me, and I, I think I might be different than a lot of people I talk with who really enjoy working from home, but I, I really, yeah, I, I don't like it. So I'm ready to, I'm ready to leave that behind and get back to, to how it was before. Yeah. I, I cannot wait to go. I mean, I think I kind of want a hybrid. I'm still not sure, but I, I actually, um, my work has been really wonderful with the whole daycare thing. Since we pulled Will from that other daycare, they've allowed me to work remote and I go in. And so I've been, um, it's been really wonderful, but it's been a long couple of months because I've been doing childcare work, mm. you know, kind of combination. So I cannot wait to go back to the days of leaving work at work. And then when I'm at home, I get to be with the babies. And um, so that's been really hard, but I've been really, you know, thankful because now we have Will at, he's starting Monday actually um, at a the same daycare as Jack. So they're in one place. And so that was going to be really nice. Um, but one thing that Texas State did um, to help with the retainment for employees is because everybody, we just had that one month of the remote work or kind of the flexible um, thing, but then students got back. But now the HR office, they're allowing um, employees to have um, remote work days that they get to choose. So it's, um, they have, you can have 30. So I've used all of mine because I worked remote for this past month. But um, some people, you know, who haven't, they can have these 30 days that they can spread out for the whole year and it restarts every August. So if you want to do like one day a week of using remote, you can do that. Um, so it gives the, the employee the flexibility and you have to work with your supervisor. But I just thought that was a good way, you know, to try to make it, you know, where you can't, change the structure of the office because it's such a huge, you know, university, but you know, one, one way to keep people happy. So that's what my company did. I think that's really smart. And there's a pretty good amount of evidence out there right now that productivity didn't go down. Uh, it probably went up in some ways, um, not in healthy or sustainable ways, I would say, but like to have to sustain some of that flexibility, probably a pretty good thing. I don't know, Jen, what's it been like in your office? Uh, we have never been back to the office. Oh no, that's, we were back very like for a week. It was kind of when things were good in Austin and it was kind of like, Hey, come by the office if you want to see people. Um, but yeah, it's been two years. 
I guess today was the last two years ago. Today was the last day in the office. Mm. Um, I am so ready to get back. I like I'm in my room, my office in my bedroom. And so it's just small and I'm just cramped. And yeah, I like I mean, leaving work at work and um, I'm, I'm bad about I'm bad about getting up from my desk and just to go downstairs, you know, because I'm like, oh, I, can, I have this other thing I need to do. They're fine downstairs, but it's like really not a healthy way. And um, but yeah, our our company, it's been very interesting. We um, have hired so many people in the past two years, but we've been able to hire all over the world and all over the US when we mm. tried to we used to have some remote employees but most would be focused in Austin um so it's just kind of broadened um our hiring um which has been really neat and um but yeah I think we're never going to go back to having making people come in um it'll probably be me and a couple other people that will be there like all the time um, and then some people said they want to come in a couple times or maybe for a meeting. And then some people were like, I never want to go back to the office. Um, mm. So it's it's a variety. Um, but we're we're lucky that we're a software company. So we can do Zoom calls and talk over the, the you know, the computer all the time and and still be efficient in our work. So but that's interesting. Your, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, it's an interesting point that you guys brought up to leave work at work and I, like that disconnect. And I wonder, like, I don't know, one of the things that I've seen and maybe you guys have experienced it as well is like, now we have all these tools. So I, why are you leaving work at work? You you know, you should take some of that home with you and get some more done. I mean, maybe maybe that's not implied necessarily, but it's certainly a uh, an understood. I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys have experienced that as well. I've had to put do not disturb on my um, team's messages because I was like, good for you. I know it, I finally did. I mean, cause, and it's not that my team like expects me to respond if they they message like, but I'll sit there. The first thing I do and is check my phone to see if work has like messaged me because they're all like an hour ahead of me. And um, so, yeah, I finally put that in place where I'm like, nope. I'm going to check things when it's time for me to get to work. And because I think, yeah, people were just like, oh, everyone's at home and working. So they're, you know, they're right. going to be available at any time. And Right. Dave, it's the lunches, the lunch hour meetings that I just cannot abide anymore. So I've had to really like go firm, <laughs> uh, firm no on that, you know, just to try and reclaim, reclaim. And I think it's more like Jen was saying, you know, my own like behaviors that I need to curb. That's why I like, having a physical space where I can like leave the laptop there. It's that I don't go home yeah. and like put in the hours that I don't need to unnecessarily. Yeah. I definitely think it's like my own personal stuff. It's just cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I have, I can do everything from my phone. And mm -hmm. so yeah. I need to respond, but that's not expected. Um, so yeah. Good for you guys. I mean, you, you've certainly taken the, the bigger step than I have of uh, acknowledging your own, what you own, you, you know, your personal needs as well as your, your professional needs. So that's, I, I still have yet to figure out how to put those guardrails up um, in this kind of, well, I mean, we've transitioned all the way back to the office, but I still, you know, those, 
those COVID learned habits die hard. So it's been like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just open the laptop and crank a couple of things out. There's eh, no problems. Like I'm, I'm all set up to work here anyway. So. Yeah. It's been here in Korea. I mean, I joined this, this faculty a year ago, over a year and it's an incredibly social environment. We have grad students and faculty and um, they have like a big, like annual Christmas holiday party where apparently everybody sings. And like, I remember, yeah, this was all like lore before I got here. I was like, wow, it was one of the reasons I chose to come here as I knew how social and how tight the community was. And I get here and it's like, because everything is, they're doing it the Korean way, which is incredibly like science-based and careful. And so we socialize, um, you know, in small groups, but still haven't been able to have large groupings here. And so they'll have like a guest speaker. So the guest speaker is on Zoom. And then some people are in the room watching a screen. And then some people, most people are watching on a screen. But then they are like, okay, please come by and pick up your dessert. So they'll be like a little bag and you go get your dessert and you sit in your office, like sadly eating this dessert. And my colleague is in there. Everybody's in their own little offices having this social experience. And I'm like, this is not, this is not working. Like, you know, this is, I, I really appreciate the links that they've gone to, to try to keep some semblance of that. But academia, you know, in an environment like this really thrives on the sort of informality and the hallway discussion and the sort of stray idea over, you know, I mean, that's the reason a lot of us go into this, into what I do is like that's you know your time is supposed to be kind of yours to structure and that informality is a big part of it and we haven't been able to do it so i don't know in some ways it's kind of like all of the other when you arrive at a new job and you're under covid i don't know maybe like when we fully get out of this i'll just go and knock i'll just reintroduce myself to everybody like hey i'm scott knowles i know i've been on your tv screen on your computer screen for the last year and a half but i just wanted to say i'm here That'll be weird. Nobody wants me to do that. But it's just, I don't know. It's a deferred introduction in some way. Uh, Scott, I, somebody new in our office moved down from Seattle. Uh, his first day was last Wednesday and I biked in and I was like, he didn't recognize me, even though we've met for over a year on these phone calls. He's <laughs> like, Charlie, hi, it's me, Jeff. And he's like, I had to do a double take. Um, but you just like these things are you, you, you've met and introduced over the screen, but it's, it's different. It's totally different when you see people in person. We should probably start wrapping up because everybody right outside of your door, I know there are children, pets, spouses uh, waiting. Um, but just I want to do a quick round. I just, first of all, let me just say, I, of course, I love you all and how much I value our communication at this time. I've not been back to Texas since December of 2019. It's the longest time I've ever been out of the state of Texas. Um, but we do have the weekly calls and I'm on with you a lot, Dave, and you get my text message rants. And you answer, which I really appreciate. Uh, it's great for me. Um, so, just I just want to go around quickly and just uh, if, did anything else you wanted to say, or and maybe it's kind of a corny question, but I kind of wonder what's giving you hope right now. This has been a dark time in America in lots of ways. I mean, around the world, but also particularly in America. I have to say, also particularly in Texas, it's been hard to watch from a distance. So, what's giving you some some hope in this time? That's the the two little monsters that I chase around on a regular basis. Actually, I mean, they get it's like they get a fresh experience. And I, you know, Steph and Lindy talked about it, and Jeff too. I, I guess we all talked about it a little bit. Is like, like 
it's not weird for them. It's their, like they're growing up. They don't know any different and it's the first time or they're like learning all this stuff new the first time. So it doesn't matter. Like this is how we're doing it now. Let's just do it. And been a lot of like, okay, well, we're going to take whatever precautions we can, but now we're going to do it and it's going to be okay. And so far it has been, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we dealt with it around my house, but it's, you know, yeah, I, Sorry, I, I took the easy answer. Everybody else take a take a harder one. <laughs> no, you just you beat me to it. As I was, I was thinking, like, it's kind of the theme of this whole conversation as the kids. That's you know, you can't stop life when you have kids. <laughs> and you I mean, at least for me, I can't just like sit and not like live a life with these active babies. Like, you know, Jack won't stay in the house, so we have to go do something, you know, we have to go. <laughs> find some kind of adventure um and so just it's exciting to watch like all of our babies grow up and um and be so full of joy and you know we are also their teachers and so how we live our lives and being optimistic and you know um doing doing life the right way being kind to others be you know respectful of other people's choices and um so i think that kind of gives me hope is just to keep raising these babes in a world that um, isn't too scary for them. I think I'll add on to that, just being a teacher too. Like I know at the beginning, I was kind of complaining about where what they're acting like because um, it is difficult, but like every single day, I just am blown away by how resilient children are and how people are. I know like we are as well, but it's really cool to see them and just to hear their laughter and um, and create a space that is safe, too, because it is scary. And there's a lot of things to really bring us down because there are so many things, especially, you know, around the world, of course, right now, but then in Texas, too. But um, I just in this. Yeah, of course, with our kids, too. But I think it's it's kind of a beautiful thing to see um, six and seven year olds talking to each other and. Um, just kind of learning things and learning how to treat each other the right way. And um, so that they won't be the jerk on the airplane complaining. So hopefully that, <laughs> that works. Nicely said. Um, yeah. I was just thinking the first thing that came to mind was that like, I have hope, like, I guess, cause Donovan's going to be vaccinated soon. And I think that's exciting. And um but also he's going to be going to elementary school next year. And, you know, like, and that's going to be something, a normal step, you know, so it's something to look forward to um, and just, we'll just adapt to what the new normal is, but it's exciting growth and yeah, I'm just looking forward to continue to live. Donovan will yeah. be teaching the class. Oh, gosh. No, I <laughs> have to work on him letting other people talk. Yeah. <laughs> I think everything that y'all said is, is totally right in terms of kind of hopefulness in the face of where we are with, with the virus. Um, you know, I took Lulu to the pool for the first time, which she's, you know, hasn't been able to do that since she was a baby. And so just to just to experience those things. And I think there'd be a lot more of those type of more normal activities of kids growing up. So yeah, I, I feel bad for some of my colleagues that are, you know, uh, 
in their tw you know twenties and they've had to go through this and feeling quite isolated. I've you know had my you know small family unit to kind of keep me going along, and then connecting with family you know digitally has been really helpful. But um, yeah, I think it's just continue to, to continue to raise this family. Hopeful also that we get to be together more frequently. You know, um, that's that's also something that's going to keep me going and uh, excited to do do that soon. I'm right there with you. And I think I can come in July. So I think hopefully we're going to see everybody uh, in Texas or in California or both in in July. Um, can finally, I think, travel. <laughs> so. I'll say it's a... It was a beautiful time to be in California, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I know. I was like, I, I was like, man, I can't wait to get to Texas in July. I'm like, wait a minute. But actually, <laughs> actually, being totally honest, I don't care this time. I'll go anytime. Well, um, we should wrap up. You've been listening to COVID Calls. This has been a special COVID Calls episode uh, with my totally brilliant, wonderful brothers and sisters, Dave, Jeff, Jen, Lindy and Steph, thanks for taking time um, to do this again. And uh, I'm glad we did it. And love you all. Love you too, buddy. Congratulations. Love you. Thank you. Stay healthy, everybody. And we'll see you next time on COVID Calls.